I'm Tim Burrows. Today's guest is Adlan's ad man, Russell Howcroft. After rising to the top of agency land at WPP's GPY&R, he became a household name explaining advertising to the public on the ABC's Gruen. Along the way, he found himself in the CEO hot seat at 10, and then he set up the CMO advisory practice at PwC. Three years ago, he took another career turn, the breakfast slot at 3AW, alongside Ross Stevenson. Since then, the show has continued to win every survey. We recorded this interview in his studio last Thursday morning, coincidentally at 9am, right as the new survey numbers dropped. We'll start right there. Unmade. Russell, you've just had a text from the boss. What did it uh, say? Yeah, it, it's uh, so Tom Malone. He's the he runs the radio at nine. Congratulations and thank you. Outstanding ratings again. So that's good news. Um, so I think the numbers are probably be pretty much the same. Um, uh, but what 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 I think is really interesting about the ratings, Tim, is. What tends to happen is it's reported on, you know, ratings on ratings. So survey four to survey five, survey five to survey six. Whereas what I'm used to um, from my advertising training was how you're lapping. Right? So you'll remember that um, Martin Sorrell or Sir Martin, he was always into how are you lapping? Okay, so how, it, it, what does it look like on September the 1st, the previous year or September the first the previous year to that well, i should say october shouldn't i um so i the first question i always ask of um the of, of the team here is how are we lapping as opposed to you know survey on survey because that is of great interest to me uh and also i'm always very keen to know what the commercial rating share is because of course the number for today is all radio um but of course advertisers can't advertise on all radio so I'm really interested in the commercial share. Again, that's a number which doesn't get printed very often. Uh, and I am particularly interested with regard to our show and our station is how are we going with the younger demographics? Um, you know, 3AW, 3AW Breakfast is always going to be strong with the older demographics. Um, but it's really important, of course, that you try and get yourself younger. Well, we will get into all of that. And it's a slightly more abrupt start to a conversation than usual. So it's, it's worth making the making the point that we're recording this at, at 9.01 on survey day. Yes. So we were literally in the room together looking at the emails as they uh So tell me what they they're came saying. In. How did well, I go? Yeah, well... Because I've I, just got a text. I've I, got the actual number. I've now... So your, 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 your actual number was... Yeah. Uh, so this is for the 5.30 a.m. to 9.00 a.m. slot. Uh, okay, so, well, thank you for so pointing that doesn't, out. Doesn't match your slot, but the the... the, the the publicly available information yeah. says that um, it's pretty much stood steady at yeah. a twenty-one point seven share. Yeah, uh, and I, and hey, I am looking at those younger demographics as well. For right. um, and I only have those for the station. Yeah. Um, and yeah, look, fair to say you're you're not winning the battle in eighteen to twenty-four. Eighteen to twenty-four, no, but I think that we're doing better um, as we get sort of into the thirties. 30s and 40s. I think yes. we are getting some good growth there. Yeah, correct. 25 to 39 and 40 to 54 are both doing um, doing sort of pretty well. Yep. 
you, you're up in 25 to 39 and you, yeah. you're down in 40 to 54. Yeah, okay. Um, so yeah. That, but that's for the net, that's for the station as a whole, okay. not for the time. And, and look, it's worth, you know, obviously I feel like I need to point this out, Tim, <laughs> but the, the adjusted rating is also another number that we like to look at, I like to look at. So you're right, the rating number is 532.9. Um, our show finishes at 8.30. So what we tend to do is then adjust the rating. So, for example, last survey, our adjusted rating was actually 23. So we, we need to get that out to you guys, don't we? Because from my point of view, it's pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's the thing. And I think particularly, you know, because very few shows actually show, really follow the, 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 the precise delineation. Right. But, Fair enough. Yeah. But let's get into, um, let's go back a little bit now. Three okay. years. Yep. So yep. Um, you you. Present the show with Ross Stevenson here in Melbourne. Yes, um, I do. Right from the moment um, you came on board, there wasn't a stutter in terms of the ratings. It, it, the show maintained its number one position. Three years in, mm-hmm. do you feel that you're now broadcasting as equals are you, or are you still uh, doing the apprenticeship? Well, well, I tell you what, it's a little trite, but there is there is no equal to Ross Stevenson. You know, he, he has done it for a long time. And it's also, we should remember in terms of radio history, when he arrived at 3W Breakfast, he wasn't number one. So he actually, he and uh, Dean Banks, they got it to number one. It's been number one ever since. Um, And when I started um, doing this three years ago, as you say, um, I was advised by a good friend of Ross and mine as well, good media person, who just said, look, just get on the dance floor with Ross and let him take the lead uh, because he'll lead you around the dance floor beautifully. And that's that's precisely what happens. What I would say, though, is I feel more comfortable. I was also told by another radio executive, it will take you way longer to feel comfortable than you, than you think. And I actually believe that that is true. It, that is true. When I reflect on it, um, it was a massive disruption just to lifestyle as much as anything you know that that does cause you know cause a huge as i say disruption um but now i feel in terms of like the rhythm of life i feel good about it um and the rhythm of the show yeah um so equal that's not quite the word i would use um because there genuinely is no equal but do i feel comfortable and do i feel that there's a really good rhythm yeah definitely and the craft just as a broadcast yeah so interesting that head and stuff amazing what just couldn't you see from the outside that you now see? And it's a nice word as well, Tim, the craft of it. Maybe the best way to explain it is, I'll explain it for all broadcasters. It is, it's like being, it's like being John Bertrand uh, in charge of Australia 2. You, you know you've got to get across the finish line. Sorry, the start line, I should say. So you know how there's a battle to get across the start line. So the start line is, let's say, 7 o'clock. So the seven o'clock, you need to go to the seven o'clock news and there's three minutes to go between, you know, so it's 6.57 and the seven o'clock news. So I do relate Ross Stevenson to John Bertrand in that he makes every, he makes the moves that he needs to make in those three minutes in conversation with me and the audience to ensure that you get to seven o'clock still at the at, at precisely the right speed right there's and sometimes it's absolutely perfect as would be the case with John Bertrand and sometimes it's not it's not brilliant but it's still going to be very good because he's the best sailor in the world right so I, I genuinely view the craft as if you're sailing and then the other thing when you when I think about Ross and his craft you know he is his composer 
He's first violin and he's conductor and he's the conductor. You know, if you think of it like that, it's a creative show. Um, the whole three hours is is a highly creative enterprise, um, and he, he yeah he's, he's conductor, composer, and first violin. You know, maybe I'm just there on the timpani. I don't know, but you know, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. So hopefully that explains it a little. And let's uh, while we're talking about the the show, let's look forward a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Olympics. Yes, you're, you're going to Paris. We are. Um, Oh, that would have been at the upfronts. We told that. Yes. yes. Okay. Brilliant. Yes, we are, and I believe we're also going for two weeks. Even better. So we did London uh, in uh, back end of June. We were in the UK, London for a week. So that was fantastic. Just to be in that city. Test cricket was obviously on. Uh, there's tennis is on, and just the vibe of being in London over the summer, and the the audience, the three hour breakfast audience, is very used to the show travelling. It's always been a big part of the show. Um, so uh, Ross and John, prior to me, they would be at you know the World Cup and you know they'd be at the Olympics and they were they would do quite a lot of travel. And I, the the listeners like it, you know they they like um, they like the conversations that you're able to have because you've had a great day in on the streets of London. So we're really excited about going to Paris. Um, I've only ever been to. One Olympics outside of Australia and Sydney, which of course was a Winter Olympics at Sochi, Tim. Anyway. And, and have you yet worked <laughs> at how it will sort of interact with live events going on during the broadcast and that sort of thing? Or have we yeah. even started to figure that out yet? No, no. Well, I, I haven't. Um, you know, I think what what's what is good is that um, Ross is a great enthusiast for all things sport, um, as am I. Uh, and we're enthusiasts for, I think, the pursuit of sport. I don't think either of us are particularly um, nationalistic, frankly. I think we just like watching great sport, and um, and so hopefully we get to do that. And the other thing I found myself just sort of wondering about the upfronts was because it's sort of, um, you know, the, the picture that came on the screen was right. yourself and Ben Fordham. Okay. Um, you, you, you're not doing one show together for the fortnight, are you? You're going to no. carry on doing separate, uh, yep, separate yep. shows. Yep, so we'll be broadcasting into the Melbourne audience. Ben will broadcast into the Sydney audience. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm pleased that I'm pleased my face was up there on a slide in the upfronts. It's good, Tim. Thank you for letting me know. <laughs> well, I suppose that's the thing with your with your commitments now. I guess um, it actually is tricky to get to the Sydney upfronts when you've, yeah. you've got to be on yeah. air in Melbourne. Yeah, although um, when we do Gruen, uh, I... So, because Gruen is filmed in Sydney, so I then stay the evening on a Tuesday evening in Sydney, and then do the show from Sydney for Melbourne, um, which is okay. You know, once a week, or you know, I think Gruen goes for ten weeks, so it's okay to do that. But it definitely is not my pre- my preference. You, you know, you need to certainly I need to be in the same room as Ross. I'm sure Ross is fine without me, but you know, and I guess it's finding things like the natural rhythm, particularly when you have a guest, because yes. I, 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 you know, the the day I happened to be in, you, 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 you had a guest. And I don't know if they're in person in the studio or yes, not, he was, but, yeah. but sort of, I, I guess, just that thing of when you've got two presenters and you're yeah. both asking questions, yeah. there must be a bit, a bit of a tango to work out who's going to go next and how you're going to take. How do you frame that conversation? M- most definitely, um, and and it's no more complex than pointing to each other, <laughs> right? It's sort of your turn, my turn, um, and then there is sort of. Yeah, I suppose that's why that sort of conductor analogy comes to mind. Because in the end, you know, Ross is the conductor, 
Um, and so, you know, I, I, I may well want to be the next person to ask a question, but he is the conductor, so if he wishes to ask the next question, then that's what happens, right? Because if you don't have that dynamic, then it could get very messy. And I think we do a pretty good job of it not being messy. Um, it also, uh, there's a little bit of AFL that goes in my thinking as well in all of this, in that, you know, Paul Ruse um, was, you know, as you know, a very famous AFL coach. And I reckon he was the first to publicly talk about know your role, play your role. Um, and the idea that when you're in on a football field, um, not everyone's going to be best on ground. Yeah, so there is someone who's playing, you know, on a, the halfback flank, and it's their job to ensure that the opposition doesn't kick as many goals as they might otherwise do. Right, so know your role, play your role, and that is very much how I think about what I'm doing on any given day. Know my role, play my role, um, uh, because I think that enhances the what the listeners get to hear. Well, uh, before radio, you, you, I would have said you were perhaps TV's biggest advocate. Um, now, <laughs> I, I am a huge advocate of television. Yeah, and, and I, remain so. Yeah, and and that that was my uh, my question, I suppose. Is um, hey, look, I was I was refreshing my memory with your your from your book when it's right to be wrong, which I have in front of me. And one of the things that you you, you said in that is that TV is the ultimate yeah. marketing medium. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if there was anything that you now appreciate about radio as yes. a commercial medium that you didn't appreciate then? What, what is really interesting about radio is when you speak to advertisers that are pure radio. Yeah, so if we think about my, my background, um, a lot of it's been spent with big advertisers. And those big advertisers, they've got a media mix, and part of their media mix, well, their media mix will be all mediums, let's say. Mm. And they'll go through the, you know, the tortuous, you know, research, et cetera, to try and find out which medium's given me the best ROI. And I was involved in lots of those conversations. And television, of course, gives you great ROI, and it also allows you to tell brand stories, right? So that, that remains the case. When you speak to pure radio advertisers, what's really interesting about them is how how much they lord the power of the radio medium and the pure radio advertisers. So they'll tend to be direct to... I was going to ask yeah, that. They'll yeah. tend to be direct to client, direct to the station. They they uh, they know where the, where the dollars are coming from. You know, they know what the expenditure is and they know what it does for their business. And it's great having those chats with the direct advertisers because there's no way they're not going to advertise on radio because they know that their personal fortune, in many cases, is driven by the power of radio advertising. So I do like talking about that um, because it's you're not having the debate about media mix, right? There's a pure there's purity to it. The other very important part of radio is you've got low production costs, yeah. And and uh, I always talk about that with my radio sales colleagues. Don't forget to talk about the cost of production because the cost of production, of course, is very low. Um, and then. Live reads. Live reads gives you the opportunity to have voices which are well known to to the listener. So there's credibility that's added to the to the live reads. So there is it, it does play a very strong commercial role. Uh, and as you know, Tim, you know the audience the audience ten years ago, twenty years ago, thirty years ago, about the same. Yeah. And when you look at sort of a, a, a media outlook, radio revenue will be about the same. It's a very consistent media. It works. It does work for clients very, very well. Having said all that, I have always loved the role that TV advertising can play in telling a story, building a brand, giving consumers a smile. 
Well, let's um, let's talk a little bit about the evolution of your career because um, you you've been involved in various kind of on air or broadcasting mm-hmm. things over over a period of time. But this is, I guess, the first time in your career where predominantly yeah. the main day job is as broadcaster. Yes. And I found myself thinking, because you know, some people forget that you were you were even briefly the uh, the CEO of Ten. Yes, I was. Um, for Thank a, you for a, for a few a few a, weeks, a few a, a, few, a few weeks. Um, yes. Now, are you are you now? What's a good way of asking this? Are you a loss to the business world, or are you in the right place now? But it's nice you even thought of that question, Tim. Thank you. I love uh, I love business, and when talking uh, on the radio um, with uh, guests, you know, I love the opportunity to talk to business guests. I really do, and I, I really um, enjoy maybe recognizing in a radio show the importance of business, um, the importance of ideas. You know, I, I, so in a way, the broadcast part of my life, um, I'm really happy when we talk. When you know, even I like talking about you know um, balance of payments and the economics of the country. Uh, you know, the role of debt. I'm no expert. I'm definitely not an expert on any of those things, but I do like the conversation that we can have with, with experts on the radio. I, I, having said all that, I still do a fair bit of business um, and, I, and I really enjoy the conversations that I now have with business people because I've been around for a long time now, Tim, you know, and there's a advertising experience, TV experience, consulting experience, um, and all these things, I do think that they, um, I don't know, they fuse together maybe to give me confidence in having a point of view about what should be done. You know, when you're 25, um, you might have the in- you might have the instinct for what could be done, but the confidence is maybe not there. But when you're in your mid 50s, uh, you've been around a while and you've seen lots of problems. You can become a little more confident and hopefully be effective, a little more effective. And do you think the the days of you as a CEO looking at a balance sheet, looking at yep. profit and loss, yep. is that never for, a strong suit? <laughs> yeah, for, for for a big company though, that's yeah. that's not that's not the direction your career is like to go from here. I'm guessing. I I I think you're probably right. Um, though I have to say, thank you for bringing up being the CEO of Network Ten. I was in between James and Hamish. Um, and so Hamish was coming in. James, uh, James Warburton had just finished up. That's in, right. And then abruptly, Hamish. I think it's fair to say. And um, and I received a phone call, a phone call from the chair, saying, "Would you, you know, we Hamish is going to come in and be the CEO. Uh, we'd like you to sit in while we wait for Hamish." I, I genuinely have to say, it was it was maybe the most enjoyable um, business time of my life. Maybe because I knew it was coming to an end. I'm not sure. But I really did enjoy sitting in that seat, um, and I actually feel like we got quite a lot done. Yeah, it was good, you yeah. know. Look, and it's it's interesting over a short it, period of time. It must have been a really extraordinary time, and obviously, Tim went through some more extraordinary times afterwards yeah. as well. But at the time, it was under pressure. Yeah, it was third network. Um, James's arrival had taken longer than. Um, oh, anyone had, had effect, planned, yeah, because yeah. there was a non-compete with Seven That's and right. it got messy and league and all those things. But yeah. what uh, must have been extraordinary having the front row seat. What's <laughs> what's the the best story you can now safely tell that you couldn't tell? Oh at no, the, time? the best story is Big Bash. There's no question the best story is Big Bash because um, you're right. I mean, Network Ten was third. It's always been third. I mean, we should re- remind ourselves. 
you know, if we go back to simpler times, Network 10 play Channel O before that, Network 10 always played a role as, in a way, keeping one and two honest when it came to rates. It, it was a, it was a, uh, it played a market dynamic that was important for advertisers because it was able to sort of keep price under control, right? So that was a big part of, I think, being the third player. And it always has been the third player, always will be the third player. I mean, you know, one of the things that you learn in a, a, a brilliant book written by Al Reese and Jack Trout around positioning, if you're third, you're third, and therefore you need to act in a particular way, different strategies for different positioning in the market. Anyway, so cricket... We knew quite a lot about cricket in that uh, Hamish, who was the CEO, Hamish McLennan, he had worked with Cricket Australia as an ad person. I had worked with Cricket Australia as an ad person. Matt McGrath had worked with Cricket Australia as an ad person. We sort of knew I'd actually, pre the broadcast rights, sorry, pre Big Bash actually being launched, I'd worked as an ad guy with Cricket Australia around what Big Bash could look like. And we were sort of, you know, I think we were quite bullish about what it could become. The network spent $100 million over five years, and, you know, I was involved in a couple of conversations about, you know, let's go for it, which was really, you know, and invigorating. It's invigorating to be in a room, and there's, are we going to spend this money? Yes, we are. Let's go and do it. Um, and then I'll never forget being, I was on the beach. It was in the middle of summer. I don't know why I didn't travel for the first game, but I didn't travel for the first game, and the ratings came out, and it was I'm going to say twice what we were, you know, we thought, gee, it'd be good if we got 400, 450, and I think we got 800, 850, something like that. It was very, very, very exciting. Do you know, the odd thing is I can still remember, I don't know why I remember this, yeah. I remember being in, and there was another cricket game, or there was another sports event, yeah, there was a, there was another cricket game going on the same day. Yes. And I, at the time, was living in Sydney, in Central Park, with all the greenery and stuff, with a view across to Sydney Cricket Ground. And I just saw this enormous cloud arrive about 15 yeah. minutes before the big bash started. Yes, yes. And the other cricket went off the air. Yeah. So it suddenly got this clear run. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I had forgotten that. And then, you know, um, again, using advertising skill within a TV station, I enjoyed that. So Turn On 10 was a was a line that we developed, which I, you know what, I, I, I did write that line off the back of just thinking about Emirates. Remember Emirates? Emirates did brilliantly over a long period of time by simply saying fly Emirates, right? So, well, that's actually quite interesting. So let's just get people just to turn on 10, like give them an action that you want them to do. Um, the project, uh, we positioned it as... Well, let, hang on, let's, before we go on to the project, this yeah. is really interesting because I've yeah. never... I've obviously known you in the advertising world, but I hadn't realised you'd actually written a few lines yourself oh, yeah, over yeah. the years. No, I... I, I um, I have done quite a lot of creative work. Just yesterday, I, I, I wrote a line for a significant advertiser. I've always enjoyed the creative side of it. I never saw myself as a AAA creative person, and I was in the business of AAA, you know, um, and wanted to win at Cannes, and I wanted to win, you know, National Agency of the Year and win everything, and you need AAA creative people to do that. So I never saw myself as that, but... I and again, as time goes on, and as you get more confident, there is more confident about your what you sort of just know to be true. So turn on ten. It's not a particularly great advertising line, but it's strategically smart. Yeah, and project the project was the line was news delivered differently. Again, there's strategy in that. So I wouldn't claim it as a brilliant copy line, but it's a good strategic line, and it's a good 
organising line, you know. Oh, the like, fact that it, it stood the test of time says yeah. a lot about whether yeah. the line works, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, that, that, that's right. And I, I think that um, I do like the notion of lines being an organising idea. So you can organise your... You can organise the business. So let's just use the project, you know, news delivered differently. That's actually an organising idea. So when you're in the studio working out what are we going to do tonight, well, we're going to do news delivered differently. And when you're a consumer and you see the the slide and it says the project news delivered differently, it gives them a reason to watch the news. So I've always liked the idea that it works both internally organising you and externally getting you to act and last uh <laughs> last question on 10 I'll, I'll, I'll try and tempt you one more time on it what what was the most extraordinary thing you saw happen that you just can't talk you couldn't talk about at the time but um, oh, I, I don't i don't extraordinary thing that i saw happen well no i haven't really got anything which you're looking for but there'll be people that re- will remember going to the white party you would have been there now was that the one at the overseas passenger terminal yes weren't there I remember now. Sochi maybe... does come to mind now that you've said that. Sochi was good. Yes. But I think that might be in your book. <laughs> so, you know, you've covered Sochi. Yes, yes. That was the that, 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 that was the one where everybody was given a television out of the back of a lorry. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> That's the one thing I... Now, maybe that was that was either the year before or the year after. For. It was um, it was when... It wasn't what I was thinking. You've just reminded me of that. But now I just, <laughs> I just have this really vivid memory of it was when Lachlan had just come in yeah. and it was the upfronts and it was... It was the, the one maybe the year before the overseas passenger terminal, somewhere in the rocks anyway. And there was just this lorry p- pulled up at the end and, and um, it yeah. started over at the Sydney Theatre and then everyone had come down the road with being offered rides on Harleys, I seem to remember. Yeah. But then there was just this lorry with the um, the back open and people were being handed televisions well, as they left, well, so. well, in order to in order to promote your product, you know, you need to be able to watch it <laughs> on something, don't you, Tim? I don't, I don't remember that. But I do remember at the White Party um, saying to Neil Shoebridge, who was doing the corporate affairs. Now does corporate affairs yeah, for seven amongst other yeah, people. Yeah, so I just said, hey, Neil, let's let's get all the um, press releases that have been done since Hamish became the CEO. So let's print out all those press releases and then I'll just read out all the headlines. Because literally there was, there's a, there was a good headline, you know, like once every three days. So I do remember very fondly reading out all those headlines and as a result, you know, building energy around the business and – I do think we did a pretty good job of putting some energy around 10. I do. Well, let's, so before we move away from television altogether, you're, uh, so you were the chair of AFTERS. Yep. How are you thinking philosophically about that next generation of film, TV, yep. radio people? Um, how is it going to change? Hey, let's say the age of AI, you know, yep. that's yes. just the latest disruption. Yep. How is that, that world of getting people ready changing? I, I, AFTERS were, I, there's two three-year terms. I was uh, so I, I did that for six years. Great school. I mean, you know, Tim, you need to uh, if you haven't got down there and just checked out what they do. So it's the it's now top five film school in the world. Um, when when I got there, they were sort of ha- they happily claimed top fifteen. That I as I was exiting, I said, "What are we now?" So anyway, it's a very very good film school. Um, it understands that it understands that what it needs to do is first and foremost cre- create great storytellers. So the the core philosophy of afters is storytelling, because the medium the medium shouldn't matter. You know, like, so the medium will be determined by well budget or choice, um, but you need to have a good 
ability to tell a story. And so we have really focused, we at Afters focused around storytelling. Um, and then, uh, very interestingly, sort of in particular given um, what's coming up on October the 14th, we embedded First Nations Indigenous pedagogy, as they call it, uh, teaching style into Afters. And why did we do that? Well, because the notion of we we wish to be a great storytelling school, well, clearly First Nations Australians have, have for 60,000 plus years have been brilliant storytellers. And if you look at if you look at the great film that's come out of Australia, it's incredible uh, the weight of Indigenous storytelling that is actually in the best film, in the best film. So we really put that at the sort of philosophically and also actually literally at the centre of the school, something I am really very, very proud of. I mean, my role in that is the chair who says, yes, that's a good idea, not really much more than that. Um, but uh, it, it's I, I think that that holds the school in great stead. Um, and if you go to the school, you'll see that it's got a deep spirit about it. You'll see that it's very, very values-based and it is incredibly well managed and organised. And um, I know the CEO, Nell Greenwood, Dr Nell Greenwood, she was praised by the department for the effort during the pandemic that she put in to make sure that the school was continued to be a thriving and going concern. We have a portfolio career now. You're a partner with Sayers. Yes. Tell me about that. Okay, so Sayers Group. Um, so Luke Sayers, he was the CEO of PwC. Um, interestingly, you, you become a CEO of P PwC if you're voted by the partners and you get four, you get a four-year term, and at the end of the four years, you can do another four-year four term, or you might get voted out. Um, anyway, Luke did two four-year terms. He then left, um, which I think is sort of, again, maybe the convention. I think that's probably the convention. He said, okay, you know, he's probably 50, so still plenty of time to build more career. He asked if I'd like to give him a hand. At around the same time, in fact, that 3AW was speaking to me, right, so I'd have to check the diary to get the dates right, but at, at pretty much at the same time. So I had a chat to Luke and Sammy Kumar, the CEO of the group, and said, you wouldn't believe what's happened to me. I've been offered, you know, this job, Breakfast Radio. And they were brilliant. They said, that is amazing. You should do that. And let's see what you can do to help us as well. So I, I am part of the Justin Paps team at Sayers Group, and we do similar to what we did at PwC when we had CMO Advisory, you'll remember that. Uh, we're getting a little deeper into execution, uh, helping clients a little more. What, what I like thinking about or what I, what I like the idea of is, do you know MediaLink? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is the Michael Kazan, yeah. Kazan thing Yeah. in the US. Yeah. I love the Michael Kazan thing, MediaLink. If you have a look at what they do, I reckon Michael Kassan, that business started, the name sort of almost says it all. It started as a client of any shape or size had a problem. They get Michael on the line and he says, I'll fix it. It feels a bit like if <laughs> if, if Darren Woolley and Anthony Hurrigan had a love yep. child, yeah, then yeah. that might be Michael Kassan. But... Yes, there's a bit of that about it as well. Um, we certainly um, we, we do help clients and have helped clients with who their best suppliers are, definitely. And we have helped clients, which is, let's say, the woolly side of it, and we have helped clients with their organisational structure. So, you know, like what should the org chart look like for best practice in marketing, which is not quite Hooligan, but certainly in that in that sort of space. And then, of course, 
we do help clients with their messaging. The stuff I really like doing is giving clients confidence in their creative direction. And it's, you know what, it's fair enough, right, Tim? If you're client X, you've got $20 million that you're about to spend, giving someone like me a call and you say, can you just come and have a look at this? Sure. And give them some confidence in it or not that I I understand if you're a client and you want to and you want to do that and we we try very hard to give them good objective advice and I would I think we've got a good book on that front. Well as you've you, you've mentioned you set up the CMO advisory for PwC which was it was kind of a new development yes, at the it was. time for consultancies almost globally I think. It was. Um and it really worked. It did. What what was the formula for the success? The formula for the success was if you are a client in today's world, it is deeply confusing and every supplier that you have makes perfect sense, right? So if you're in the design business, you're brilliant at presenting the design solution. If you're in the social media business, you present a social media solution, that sounds right as well. The TV person presents a solution, that sounds right as well. The PR, that's it. so it's incredibly confusing to know where to point your effort. So at its simplest, it was helping clients, advising clients on where to point their effort, simplifying it. Let's make sure the strategy is aligned with the structure, is aligned with the spend. I'm very proud to say, Tim, that we worked hard on building budgets. Um, so a lot of consulting work is actually uh, you're wasting, you know, 50% of your budget's wasted, and I know which 50%. No, what we would do, go, what we would do is we would go in there and say, um, "You're spending half what you need to spend." The name PwC or the brand PwC played means something very, very different now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it played, sorry, but it played a big role in in giving us the opportunity to sit at the top table and talk about strategy, structure, spend. Since you left, the brand means something entirely different. Yes, now. yes, um, yes. People must ask, because you were there, yep. people must ask you so much about your thoughts about what's happened since. Well, what do you tell them when they ask you that It's question? really interesting you say you ask that, because you know what? Not really. So you've, you've now asked me. I loved my time at PwC, and I found the organisation. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it, and it's hard for – it's very hard for me to say anything other than, other than positive things about my personal experience at that organisation – they took a, a risk in a way in in allowing us to build a business around something that they'd never done before. And as you say, Tim, first in Australia and actually first in the world to do it. And we carved out a really successful business. Um, what's occurring now, of course, is a is in a part of, you know, you've got to remember there are 800 partners there. Um, and the way a partnership runs is very different to the way a corporation runs. Like they're fundamentally different. So each, in a way, each partner is running their own business. The way I like to describe it, so imagine a dining room table. Imagine your dining room table at home, and there's knives and forks and pepper and salt and plates, etc. Each one of those items on the table is a business at PwC, and then the table, the table is the brand. So you know, I was the salt on the, you know, sitting on the PwC table, and then there's all sorts of other businesses that are, that are, using the PwC brand and all that it means in order to create their success just as we did to help create our success and what what can they do to save the brand 
Well, uh, we spoke to um, Captain Michael Champion de Crepney on the radio the other day um, about uh, Richard, Qantas. Richard de Crepney. Richard, sorry, Richard Champion de Crepney. What a great guy. <laughs> yeah. So we, we had a chat to him about Qantas and the Qantas brand. And he said, well, of course, you lose reputation, you know, by the bucket load and you've got to rebuild it by the teaspoon. And that is the reality of, you know, rebuilding. It takes time. It takes time. Uh, you've got to be, you know, obviously very diligent about your brand. And organisations, they'll be shy. Yeah, they'll be very, very shy for a period. But then they'll do it teaspoon by teaspoon. Let's zigzag around a bit. Gruen, it's been 15 years it now. Has, yeah. um, now, I, I remember the original concept. They were very, very firm that everybody involved in Gruen had to be actual practitioners of advertising. Yes, yes. You're, you're I guess, still in the advertising world, arguably. Mm-hmm. Uh, Todd, less so, yes. involved in television. Yes. Can Gruen now just go on forever, do you think? Well, they or? keep on. They, well, we're signed on again for next year, Tim. So it's, I think, from the, the ABC's point of view, um, it is a. It's something they just they write in the book every year for the for the following year, ten shows a year, running mid year number one number one for fifteen years in a row. The persona of Gruen is expressed by Will. He is the persona, and it, it it's a it's cynical. It's cynical to the world that cynical or skeptical. Both, but probably skeptical. That's a better. That is a way better word. Thank you. It is skeptical about. The world that I've operated in, you know, my whole life, and that's the key to it. And so, another key, of course, is that every week, every day of every week, there's new marketing communications. So there's something new to talk about. It's it's one of the one of the tricks, I think, really keys to the show, is that there's always new material. Um, can it keep going? Uh, it, it, the producers do a great job of putting new faces um, on the panel. So sure, Todd and I are aging dramatically before you know. Everywhere, my eyes. So, um, but they keep on getting new people um, sitting in those other seats. So, in a way, I think the Todd and the Todd and my dynamic. I do think that is a part of the show. It took me a while to maybe say that with confidence, but I do think it is part of the show because, of course, I love pretty much everything that goes on in the marketing world. Uh, and perhaps Todd is a little more astute on what is good and what isn't good. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> hey, um, going back to you, you, you referred a bit earlier to the the, the date of the referendum coming up. Um, yeah. With the voice, have you have you told your listeners how you personally stand? No, I haven't. Um, and why not? Because the key to our show is that it isn't a political show. Uh, it is absolutely vital. And also, if you're a broadcaster, it's really about getting other people's points of view. In particular in Melbourne, Tim, 3AW Melbourne operates in a very different way to um, other talk stations um, around the network. As much as anything, it's because of Ross. Ross is fundamentally um, does a brilliant job at ensuring that the show isn't politicised in any way. The result is you get the numbers that we get, right? Because if you disagree with the people that are broadcasting, then why would you listen? So we're first and foremost a entertainment show. Um, so, um, and I absolutely respect that. It, it doesn't mean that I don't have a point of view and I haven't tried to give people a hand in the background. <laughs> Actually, and this, this, this is... You may read an article. There's also an article I wrote in The Age, co-wrote, with a, with a young man called Freddie Young around a perspective on how to, how to write for yes... And I still maintain that that article, it, it, it's interesting, the the editor said, look, just write it as if you're on Gruen. Yeah, so that's how we did it. 
um, and there's a perspective there about how to advertise for yes. Well, you've just uh, uh, alluded to something which is this sort of nexus, maybe it's specific to Melbourne or particular to Melbourne, but this nexus of media and business and right. sport or more specifically AFL. Yep, yep. How does that really work in Melbourne? What 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 do outsiders not quite understand about how how it all interconnects? Well I think get in a helicopter. Get in a helicopter and let's just go above Melbourne, you know, five hundred meters above Melbourne, and you'll see that Melbourne's actually very easy to understand because there's a middle. Um, there's hub it's hub and spoke. Right, so, and the population and the population all ag- all aggregates and power and influence aggregates around the middle, as you would expect, and that's where the sporting bodies are not only um, occupy their offices, but it's also the playing fields. You know, v- Melbourne is very very unique when you think about the CBD. You know, running between the MCG and Marvel Stadium in the Docklands. I can't remember the number, but it's something like 20, 25% of the state's GDP is between those two lines, right? It is significant. So as much as anything is about geography, we, we, media, sport, bump into each other all the time because of the just the way that Melbourne's laid out. I mean, Melbourne was created for business. You know, the grid, um, the grid, the hodl grid is the optimum design for business. You bump into each other on the corner, right? There's the legal precinct, there's the retail precinct, there's the fashion precinct, all these things sort of make sense when you live here. And then the whole world, how the AFL works, the original clubs, the original clubs all fringe the CBD, the actual centre of the city. So there's one that's in the north, and you know, then there's one in the south, there's one in the east, there's one in the west. So it all, and the trams then play a role because the trams all connect you to the middle and the trains all connect you to the middle. So it's very interconnected and very sort of centralised in how we live and therefore how we interact and therefore doing business. Does that make any sense? It really does. No, it's it feels like it's both a physical explanation and a metaphor as well. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah. So yeah, now that's I have a funny feeling I will actually use that to kind of help navigate how I think about Melbourne, the Melbourne business world in the future. Um final question for me, one that we ask everybody. Yeah. What do your critics say about you and what do your supporters say about you? So on the critic side, we're moving house. And as you would do when when moving houses, there are boxes of stuff, you know. Um, and I found a box from my G, uh, my George Patterson or CEO of Y&R days, and there was a note there that had gone to my boss at the time, actually, a note that had gone to Nigel Marsh from a should I say the name of the person who wrote the note? Oh, definitely. <laughs> First, uh, yes. <laughs> So Peter McDonald from the Advertising Register said Melbourne's got lightweight management. So my assumption is he was talking about me. So um, maybe he wasn't. I should cut. I should cut Peter some slack. Maybe he wasn't calling me lightweight. He might have been calling other people that were in the management team. So that was a very interesting time, Tim. You might remember because <laughs> um, when I became the managing director, George Patterson, Melbourne, nine of the top ten salary earners left. Every single client either put us out to pitch, put us on notice, notice, or left. So the lightweight management re rebuilt the organisation, and two years later we were at National Agency of the Year, Tim. So 
<laughs> so thank that's what the, the critics thank say. Thank you for the opportunity for telling that, for allowing me to tell that story. <laughs> and uh, what do your supporters say about you? Um, probably an enthusiasm for business, the game, ideas. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, I'd like them to say that I have good judgment. They may not say that, but I, I'm I'm fairly sure that they would say that. You know, I like the game. I like the chase. I like business. I like people. I like what people can do. I like society. I like ideas. I love what ads can do to shape, you know, an outcome. And I love talking to everyday people, and I get to do that every day. Russell, thank you so much for your time. Today's podcast was edited by Abe's Audio. We'll be back with more on Monday. Toodle pep. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.